American fascism is rapidly being cemented into place by uniformed and heavily armed paramilitary goons clutching the flag and the cross and reciting the Pledge of Allegiance and the Lord's Prayer. White Europeans who are undocumented are not being targeted. The executive orders of Trump are directed against people of color. They begin from the premise that white Americans are the true victims of neoliberalism, deindustrialization, and falling living standards. The Trump orders are written not to make America great again, but to make America white. Welcome to On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, produced for WPFW, Pacifica Radio in Washington, D.C. Today we devote this hour to the major address, The Rise of Trump, given by author and activist Chris Hedges in Vancouver, Canada. The final stages of capitalism, Karl Marx predicted would be marked by global capital being unable to expand and generate profits at former levels. Capitalists would begin to consume the government, along with the physical and social structures that sustain them. Democracy, social welfare, electoral participation, the common good, Investment in public transportation, roads, bridges, utilities, industry, education, health care, and the protection of the ecosystem would be sacrificed to feed the mania for short-term profit. These assaults would destroy the host. And this is the stage of late capitalism that Donald Trump represents. Trump and his reactionary capitalists who have seized 34 of 50 governorships and 68 of 99 state legislatures, 49 of which are bicameral, plan to oversee the final campaign of corporate pillaging of America and the rest of the planet. It will be crass and brazen, as crass and brazen as the fleecing of the desperate people hoping for a miracle in the face of dead-end jobs and ruinous personal debt who patronized Trump's casinos and the casinos springing up across the United States and Canada, or who shelled out thousands of dollars for the sham of Trump University. He is unleashing a kleptocracy. The word comes from the Greek, klepto, meaning thieves, and kratos, meaning rule, so it is literally rule by thieves. 
one that will rival the kleptocracies carried out by Suharto in Indonesia and Marcos in the Philippines. It is not that Trump and his family will use the influence of government to increase their wealth, although this will certainly take place on a massive scale. It is that hundreds of billions of federal dollars will be diverted into the hands of cronies, sleazy bankers, unethical financial firms, and scabrous hedge fund managers. Everything will, to use a business term, be harvested. The decaying pillars of the liberal state in America will be obliterated. At the same time, the militarization of America is being accelerated. The defense budget will be increased by 10% or $54 billion, although the United States already spends more than the defense budgets of the next seven countries combined. The paramilitary forces of immigration and customs enforcement, which will soon hire 10,000 more agents, and the Border Patrol, which will hire 5,000 more agents, along with Homeland Security, have all deputized local and state police to function as their auxiliaries. They will be flooded with cast-off military-issue equipment. These paramilitary forces will not disband once they have finished terrorizing and deporting some of the 11 million undocumented workers in the United States. They will turn on their next victims, Muslims, African Americans, Asians, dissidents. This militarization of society is designed to carry out the race war that Trump and those around him see as inevitable at home and abroad. In poor communities of color, this race war has already begun. Racial profiling, random police stops, raids at homes and businesses, people of color pulled from vehicles at checkpoints, seizures of individuals with no criminal records or who never committed a serious crime, imprisonment without trial, expedited deportation hearings and removal proceedings that violate the most basic human rights. The arrest of a beneficiary of the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, or DACA program, Daniel Ramirez, Medina, 23, who along with the program's other 750,000 successful applicants had revealed all personal history to the government in applying for DACA status. Parents separated, perhaps forever, from their children. The hunted going underground. The end of the rule of law. The abandonment of the common good. The obliteration of a social state in which institutions and assistance programs from public education to social security and welfare make justice, equality, and dignity possible. White Europeans who are undocumented are not being targeted. The executive orders of Trump are directed against people of color. They begin from the premise 
that white Americans are the true victims of neoliberalism, deindustrialization, and falling living standards. The Trump orders are written not to make America great again, but to make America white. They are an updated version of the Nazis' Nuremberg laws, the Jim Crow laws, the Chinese Exclusion Act, and the Naturalization Act of 1870. They are intended to institutionalize an overt racial hierarchy in the United States, one already far advanced in the miniature police states where people of color live in marginal communities. In these impoverished enclaves, there is no right to trial or due process. Militarized police kill with impunity, and the courts lock people away, often for life. Rights are treated as privileges that can instantly be revoked. The poor, especially poor people of color, are exempted from moral consideration. They are attacked as impediments to social cohesion. And these impediments must be eliminated. Jews, their community centers enduring threats of violence, and their graveyards desecrated, will also be persecuted. American fascism is rapidly being cemented into place by uniformed and heavily armed paramilitary goons clutching the flag and the cross and reciting the Pledge of Allegiance and the Lord's Prayer. Little or no prospect of rescue from individual indolence or impotence can be expected to arrive from a political state that is not and refuses to be a social state. The sociologist Sigmund Bauman wrote, without social rights for all, a large and all probability growing number of people will find their political rights of little use and unworthy of their attention. If political rights are necessary to set social rights in place, social rights are indispensable to make political rights real and keep them in operation. The two rights need each other for their survival. That survival can only be their joint achievement. Presidential Chief Strategist Stephen Bannon and his public comments and his films such as Generation Zero has embraced a historical determinism worthy of Karl Marx. He posits that Western culture has been contaminated and is being destroyed by darker races and barbaric religions and belief systems. His conspiratorial view of history and society sees a global war between the white race and the lesser breeds of the earth as not only inevitable, but one that will reinvigorate and purify America. This idea of regeneration through violence, which has always been part of the American myth, is also a central tenet of fascism. Racists and conspiracy theorists such as Bannon 
Michael Anton, Stephen Miller, Sebastian Gorka constitute Trump's ideological brain trust. Gorka goes so far as to argue that the failure to understand the evil of radical Islam stems from a systematic subversion of the national security establishment under the banner of inclusivity, cultural awareness, and political correctness. In a 2014 speech, Bannon said, I believe we've come partly off track in the years since the fall of the Soviet Union, and we're starting now in the 21st century, which I believe strongly is a crisis both of our church, a crisis of our faith, a crisis of the West, a crisis of capitalism. There is a major war brewing that's already global, Bannon said, it's going global in scale. And today's technology, today's media, today's access to weapons of mass destruction, it's going to lead to a global conflict and I believe has to be confronted today. Every day that we refuse to look at this as what it is and the scale of it and really the viciousness of it will be a day where you will rue that we didn't act. Bannon is a proponent of the theory popularized by authors William Strauss and Neil Howe in their books Generations, The History of America's Future, 1584 to 2069, and The Fourth Turning, An American Prophecy, What the Cycles of History Tell Us About America's Next Rendezvous with Destiny. These authors argue that roughly every 80 years, or an average human lifespan, the country goes through a cataclysmic crisis. This crisis triggers war, industrial slaughter, and genocide, and lasts for a decade or more. In its aftermath, they argue the social order is rejuvenated. Strauss and Howe highlight the American Revolution of 1775, to 1783, the Civil War, the Great Depression, and World War II as examples of how the cycle works. Pseudo-intellectuals such as Strauss and Howe play the role that Paul de Lagarde, Julius Langban, Arthur Muller, Vandenbroek, and Alfred Rosenberg played for the Nazi Party. They give an intellectual veneer to racist, conspiracy theories, a perverted nationalism, a hatred for culture, and the lust for domination through violence. I share Bannon's distaste for corporate globalization, free trade agreements, the failure to put Wall Street bankers in jail, the bank bailouts and crony capitalism, and would even concede that Americans wallow in the moral swamp of a culture of narcissism. He is right when he attacks, he attacks the two major political parties as the one party of Davos. But his solution to the purported crisis, total war by the white race to regain its ascendancy is insane, as are the causes he cites. A new deal that turned citizens into whining dependence, the permissiveness of the 1960s, the white guilt that made the country cater 
in his words, irresponsibly to African Americans by giving them social service programs and undeserved mortgages that led to the 2008 financial meltdown. An intellectual and liberal class composed essentially of traitors who hate America and, quote-unquote, the new barbarity of jihadist Islamic fascism. Racism, misogyny, the inherent cruelty of capitalism and the crimes of empire, from Wounded Knee to Vietnam and Iraq, simply do not exist in Bannon's mystical nationalist worldview. He insists that the white male aristocratic elites who formed a republic that enslaved African Americans, exterminated Native Americans, denied the vote to women and white men without property, created, quote, a church and a civilization that really is the flower of mankind. And this is the myth he wants to recover. Now it may be that the deep state the shadowy world of the security and surveillance bureaucracy, the arms industry, Wall Street, Silicon Valley, and corporations that actually rule the country. Disturbed by Trump's impulsivity, irrationality, and incompetence, will move to replace him. This was certainly the idea when the organs of internal security used a wiretap to discredit and remove Michael Flynn. And it is what is happening now with the leaks about the Attorney General's two meetings with the Russian ambassador. But the ascendancy to the White House of Michael Pence, a more polished and disciplined politician who will advance the agenda of the Christian right, will not make things better, and indeed, they may make things worse. Those being placed now into power are agents of destruction. Betsy DeVos is moving to defund our system of public, public education and use government vouchers to expand corporate charter school chains and those run by the Christian right. Scott Pruitt is dismantling the Environmental Protection Agency. He has already called for a 25% reduction in the EPA's budget, the elimination of 3,000 jobs, and the slashing of numerous programs, including a 70% cut to its climate protection program that oversees cutting emissions of greenhouse gases. Bannon was the dark hand behind the ban on Muslims entering the United States from seven Muslim-majority countries, a ban you can expect to see extended if the Trump administration is successful in removing a stay issued by a district court or issuing a new executive order. Bannon was behind the order to the Department of Homeland Security to draw up lists of Muslim organizations and individuals in the United States that in the language of that executive order have quote-unquote been radicalized and provided material support to terrorism-related organizations in countries that pose a threat to the United States. Such lists will be used to criminalize Muslim leaders and the institutions and organizations they built. Then, once Muslims are dealt with, there will be new homeland security lists that will allow the government to target the press, activists, labor leaders, dissident intellectuals, and the left.
Lenin wanted to destroy the state, and that's my goal too, Bannon told the writer Ronald Radosh in 2013. I want to bring everything crashing down and destroy all of today's establishment. This culture of destruction was launched four decades ago by corporate forces. The corporate elites terrified by the mobilization of the left in the 1960s by what the political science scientist Samuel Huntington called America's excess of democracy, built and funded counter-institutions to delegitimize and marginalize critics of corporate capitalism and imperialism. They bought the allegiances of the two main political parties. They imposed obedience to the neoliberal ideology within academia and the press. This campaign, laid out by Lewis Powell in his 1971 memorandum titled Attack on American Free Enterprise System, was the blueprint for the creeping corporate coup d'etat that 45 years later is largely complete. The dismantling of democratic institutions, places where the citizen has agency and a voice, is far graver than the ascendancy to the White House of the demagogue Trump. The coup destroyed our two-party system. Labor unions are a spent force. The press is corporatized. Universities have been purged of dissidents and independent scholars who criticize neoliberalism and decry the decay of democratic institutions. Public broadcasting and the arts, places where voices not beholden to corporate power should find a sanctuary, have been defunded and forced to beg for corporate money, which of course comes with corporate censorship. And it is expected that what little money the government gives to public broadcasting and organizations such as the National Endowment for the Arts will soon be eliminated under Trump. The courts have been stacked with judges whose legal careers were spent serving corporate power, a trend in appointments that continued under Barack Obama. Money has replaced the vote, which is how someone as unqualified as DeVos can buy herself a cabinet seat. And the Democratic Party, rather than sever its ties to Wall Street and corporations, is naively waiting in the wings to profit from a trunk debacle. This coup destroyed more than our democratic institutions. It destroyed the very credibility of liberal democracy. Self-identified liberals such as the Clintons and Obama mouthed the words of liberal democratic values while making war on those values in the service of corporate power. And the revolt we see rippling across the United States and much of the globe is a revolt not only against a corporate system that has betrayed workers, but also for many, the ideas and values espoused by a bankrupt liberal class. This is very dangerous. The discrediting of liberal democracy will allow the radical right to cement into place in America and 
much of Europe and other parts of the globe a form of fascism. Presidential advisor Stephen Miller, an ardent white supremacist, in an interview on Face the Nation on CBS was quite blunt about what to expect. We have a judiciary that has taken far too much power and become in many cases a supreme branch of government, he said. Our opponents, the media, and the whole world will soon see as we begin to take further actions that the powers of the president to protect our country are very substantial and will not be questioned. History may not repeat itself, but it echoes. Framers of the Constitution, steeped in the rise of empire and death of democracy in ancient Greece and Rome, attempted to provide checks and balances to keep the American Republic from falling like their ancient counterparts into oligarchy and tyranny. This knowledge of the past, dismissed as frivolous by our consumer culture and business elites, allows us to recognize the familiar warning signs on the road to tyranny. If we studied the collapse of ancient Greece, Rome, the Weimar Republic, or even the former Yugoslavia, we would be far more alert to the current march towards despotism. Thucydides, who wrote that the tyranny Athens imposed on others, it finally imposed on itself, is a far better guide to our future than Milton Friedman or Ayn Rand. The historian Fritz Stern in The Politics of Cultural Despair, his book on the rise of fascism in Germany, warned repeatedly of the danger of a bankrupt liberalism. Stern, who saw the same dark, irrational forces at work today that he watched as a boy in Nazi Germany, argued that the spiritually and politically alienated are the prime recruits for a politics centered around cultural hatreds and personal resentments. And Stern told me that in Germany there was a yearning for fascism before the word fascism was invented. They attacked liberalism, Stern wrote, of the fascist emerging at that time in Germany because it seemed to them the principal premise of modern society. Everything they dreaded seemed to spring from it. The bourgeois life, Manchesterism, which is laissez-faire capitalism, materialism, parliament and the parties, the lack of political leadership, even more, they sense in liberalism the source of all their inner sufferings. Theirs was a resentment of loneliness. Their one desire was for a new faith, a new community of believers, a world with fixed standards and no doubts, a new national religion that would bind all Germans together. All this liberalism denied, hence they hated liberalism, blamed it for making outcasts of them, for uprooting them from their imaginary past and from their faith. It turns out 45 years later that those who truly hate us for our freedoms 
are not the array of dehumanized enemies cooked up by the war machine. The Vietnamese, the Cambodians, Afghanis, Iraqis, Iranians, or even the Taliban, Al-Qaeda, or ISIS. They are the financiers, bankers, politicians, public intellectuals and pundits, lawyers, journalists, and business people, many cultivated in elite universities and business schools, who served, as Matt Taibbi says, as the guardians of the orthodoxy of neoliberalism and empire. In the twilight phase of capitalism, wealth is no longer created by producing or manufacturing. It is created by manipulating the prices of stocks and commodities and imposing a crippling debt peonage on the public. Our casino capitalism has merged with the actual gambling industry. This is an economic model designed to prey on the desperate Young men and women, burdened by student loans, underpaid workers, crushed by credit card debt and mortgages, bankrupt towns and cities forced to borrow to maintain municipal services and sell off municipal assets from sewers and water treatment plants to their parking authority to corporations. Casino magnates such as Sheldon Adelson, who has advocated attacking Iran with nuclear weapons, and hedge fund managers such as Paul Singer, who buys distressed or defaulted bonds at pennies on the dollar and then sues for full repayment, which is how he trashed the Argentine economy, and Robert Mercer add nothing of value to society They do not generate money, but instead redistribute it upwards to the 1%. They use lobbyists and campaign contributions to rewrite laws and regulations and build monopolies. And this is how the drug company Mylon in the United States raised the price of an EpiPen used to treat allergy reactions from $57 in 2007 to $500. They have given themselves the legal power to carry out a tax boycott, loot the treasury, close factories, send jobs overseas, and gut social service programs. These corporate mandarins are, if we speak in the language of God and country, traitors. They are parasites. Financial speculation in 17th century England was a crime. Speculators were hanged. The heads of most of today's banks and hedge fund managers and the executives of large corporations such as Walmart and Gap that run sweatshop death traps for impoverished workers overseas deserve prison far more than most of the poor students of color I teach within the prison system, people who never had a fair trial or a fair chance in life. 
When a tiny cabal seizes power, monarchist, communist, fascist, or corporate, it creates a mafia economy and a mafia state. Trump is not an anomaly. He is the grotesque visage of our collapsed democracy. Trump and his coterie of billionaires, generals, half-wits, Christian fascists, criminals, racists, and deviants. Play the role of the Snopes clan in some of William Faulkner's novels. The Snopes filled the power vacuum of the decayed South and ruthlessly seized control from the degenerated former slaveholding aristocratic elites. Flem Snopes and his extended family, which includes a killer, a pedophile, a bigamist, an arsonist, a mentally disabled man who copulates with a cow, and a relative who sells tickets to witness the bestiality, are fictional representations of the scum now elevated to the highest level of the federal government. The usual reference to amorality, while accurate, is not sufficiently distinctive and by itself does not allow us to place them as they should be placed in a historical moment, the critic Irving Howe wrote of the Snopeses. Perhaps the most important thing to be said is that they are what comes afterwards, the creatures that emerge from the devastation with the slime still upon their lips. Let a world collapse in the South or Russia, and there appear figures of coarse ambition driving their way up from beneath the social bottom, men to whom moral claims are not so much absurd as incomprehensible. Sons of bushwhackers and musics drifting, drifting in from nowhere and taking over through the sheer outrageousness of their monolithic force, Howe wrote. They become presidents of local banks and chairmen of party regional committees, and later, a trifle slicked up, they muscle their way into Congress or the Politburo. Scavengers without inhibition. They need not believe in the crumbling official code of their society. They need only learn to mimic its sounds. Trump and those around him believe in one truth, which is whatever they proclaim at the moment, although any such declaration may contradict what they said a few hours before. They are possessed by one idea conflict. They sanctify violence, misogyny, a disdain for empathy, and the self-appointed right to engage in bouts of frenzied rage. These characteristics, they insist, are a sign of strength 
and virility. Their highest aesthetic is militarism, violence, and war. Without conflict, without enemies real or imagined, their ideological structures and their racism collapse into a heap of contradictions and absurdities. Christian fascists are now the vanguard of this emerging American fascism. They ferret out facts and formulas that buttress their peculiar worldview and discard truths that contradict their messianic delusions. They mouth a few biblical cliches to justify bigotry, misogyny, homophobia, chauvinism, and repression. It is propaganda masquerading as ideology. These Christian fascists are singularly incurious. They are linguistically, culturally, and historically illiterate about the Muslim world and about most other foreign cultures. Science and intellectual pursuits, yet they blindly write off one-fifth of the world's population, Muslims, as irredeemable, while they dismiss climate change as a hoax. The inability of white supremacists and Christian fascists to recognize the humanity of others springs from their spiritual and intellectual impoverishment. They mistake their bigotry for honesty. They mistake their ignorance for innocence. They cannot separate fantasy from reality. And such people are, as James Baldwin said, moral monsters. Evil for them is embodied in the dehumanized other. And once the human personification of evil is eradicated, evil itself is supposed to disappear. Except, of course, that as soon as one group of human beings is annihilated, another human embodiment of evil rises to take its place. The Nazis began with the Jews. Our fanatics are beginning with the undocumented and Muslims. And history has shown where they will go from here. The nationalist is by definition an ignoramus, the Yugoslav writer Danilo Kish wrote. Nationalism is the line of least resistance, the easy way. The nationalist is untroubled. He knows or thinks he knows what his values are. That's to say, national. That's to say, the values of the nation he belongs to, ethical and political. He is not interested in others. They are no concern of his. Hell, it's other people, other nations, another tribe. They don't even need investigating. The nationalist sees other people in his own image, as nationalists. Trump has no coherent belief system or coherent ideology, but his ideological vacuum is being filled by the Christian right. What comes next, history has shown, will not be pleasant. A corrupt and inept ruling elite, backed by the organs of state security and law enforcement, will transform workers into serfs. The most benign dissent 
will be criminalized. The ravaging of the ecosystem will propel us ever closer towards extinction. Hate talk will, as stagnation and decay continue, call for attacks against Muslims, undocumented workers, African Americans, feminists, intellectuals, artists, dissidents, all of whom will be scapegoated for the country's decline. Magical thinking will dominate our airwaves and be taught in our public schools. Art and culture will be degraded to nationalist keech. All the cultural and intellectual disciplines that allow us to view the world from the perspective of the other, that foster empathy, understanding, and compassion will be replaced by a grotesque and cruel hyper-masculinity and hyper-militarism. Reality, any discourse based on verifiable fact and truth, are under assault. Verbal confusion reigns. Truth and illusion have merged. Mental chaos makes it hard to fathom what is happening. We feel trapped in a hall of mirrors. Revealed lies are answered with new lies. The rational is countered with the irrational. Cognitive dissonance prevails. We endure a disquieting shame, even guilt. Tens of millions of Americans, especially women, undocumented workers, Muslims, and African Americans, suffer the acute anxiety of being pursued by a predator. All this is by design. Demagogues always infect the governed with their own psychosis. The lies pour out of the White House like flocks of pigeons. Donald Trump's election victory was a landslide. He had the largest inauguration crowds in American history. Three million to five million undocumented immigrants voted illegally. Climate change is a hoax. Vaccines cause autism. Immigrants are carriers of, quote, tremendous infectious disease. The election was rigged until it wasn't. We don't know who really knocked down the World Trade Center. Torture works. Mexico will pay for the wall, and America will be great again. Trump, a 70-year-old man with orange-tinted skin, is, as Trump often reminds us, quote, very good-looking. He does not read. He knows little of history, politics, law, philosophy, art, or governance, but insists, quote, my IQ is one of the highest, and you all know it. Please don't feel so stupid or insecure. It's not your fault. He goes on to say of the mediocrities he has installed in his cabinet that, quote, they have by far the highest IQ of any cabinet ever assembled. It is an avalanche of absurdities. 
And this mendacity would be easier to repulse if the problem was solely embodied in Trump. But even in the face of a rising despotism, the Democratic Party and the liberal class refuses to denounce the corporate forces that eviscerated our democracy, impoverished the country, and created Trump. The neoliberal Trump demonizes Muslims, undocumented workers, and the media. The neoliberal Democratic Party demonized Vladimir Putin and FBI Director James Comey. No one challenges corporate power. The warring elites pit alternative facts against alternative facts. All engage in demagoguery. And we will, I fear, be condemned to despotism by Trump and by the cowardice and dishonesty of the liberal class. The order for some employees of several federal agencies, including the Environmental Protection Agency, the U.S. Department of Agriculture's Research Service, the National Park Service, and the Department of Health and Human Services to restrict or cease communication with the press or members of Congress, along with the attempt to impose 10-year felony convictions on six reporters who covered the inauguration protests is part of this campaign to marginalize reality itself and replace it with fantasy. Facts for demagogues depend solely on those who have the power to create them. This assault on fact, on truth, on reality is empowered by the loss of credibility of our democratic institutions. And it has thrown the country into an existential as well as an economic crisis. The courts, university, and press are no longer trusted by tens of millions of Americans who correctly see them as organs of the corporate elites. These institutions are traditionally the mechanism by which a society is unable to mask, unmask the lies of the powerful, critique ruling ideologies, and promote justice. Because Americans have been bitterly betrayed by their institutions, the Trump regime can attack the press as the opposition party, threaten to cut off university funding, taunt a federal jurist as a so-called judge, and denounce a court order as outrageous. The decay of democratic institutions is the prerequisite for the rise of authoritarian or fascist regimes. And this decay has given credibility to a pathological liar. The Trump administration, according to an Emerson College poll, is considered by 49% of registered voters to be truthful, while the media are considered truthful by only 39% of registered voters. Once American democratic institutions no longer function, Once large sectors of the public believe, as Trump says, that the press is the enemy of the American people, reality becomes whatever absurdity the White House issues. Trump's theatricality works. He forces the press and the public to repeat his lies, inadvertently giving them credibility. He is always moving. He is always on display. He has no fixed belief system. Trump, as he consolidates power and adopts the ideology of the Christian right, seamlessly forges 
the magical thinking of the Christian right with his own magical thinking. Idiocy, self-delusion, megalomania, fantasy, and government repression will come wrapped in images of the Christian cross and the American flag. These lies create a climate in which everyone is assumed to be lying. The truth becomes suspect and obscured. Narratives begin to believe not because they are true or even sound true, but because they are emotionally appealing. The aim of systematic lying, as Arendt wrote, is the transformation of human nature itself. The lies eventually foster somnambulism among a population that surrenders to the magical thinking and ceases to care. It checks out. It becomes cynical. It only asks to be entertained and given a vent for its frustration and rage. And demagogues produce enemies the way a magician pulls rabbits out of a hat. To recover our mental balance, we must respond to Trump the way victims of trauma respond to abuse. We must build communities where we can find understanding and solidarity. And we must allow ourselves to mourn. We must name the psychosis that afflicts us. We must carry out acts of civil disobedience and steadfast defiance to re-empower others and ourselves. We must fend off the madness and engage in dialogues based on truth, literacy, empathy, and reality. We must invest more time in activities such as finding solace in nature or focusing on music, theater, literature, art, even worship. Activities that hold the capacity for renewal and transcendence. This is the only way we will remain psychologically whole. Building an outer shell or attempting to hide will exacerbate our psychological distress and depression. We cannot, as the Democratic Party appears to be doing, hope that the 2018 or 2020 elections will solve our dilemma. These reactionary forces, which have been plotting for four decades for this moment, extend far beyond the Trump White House. Their tentacles reach across national borders, meaning no country, including Canada, is immune. As the state increases the levels of violence against nonviolent dissent, we must never respond with violence. The use of violence, including property destruction, the taunting of police, is a gift to the security and surveillance state. It allows the state to demonize and isolate a mass movement. It drives away the bulk of the population. Violence against the state is used by the authorities to justify greater forms of control and repression. The corporate state understands and welcomes the language of force. This is a game the government will always win and we will always lose. If we are perceived as a flag-burning, rock-throwing, angry mob that embraces violence, we will be easily crushed. We can succeed only if we win the hearts and minds of the wider public, and ultimately many of those within the structures of power, including the police.
when violence is used against non-violent protesters demanding basic forms of justice, it exposes the weakness of the state. It delegitimizes those in power. It prompts a passive population to respond with active support for the protesters. The acts of resistance, including the massive street protests the day after the inauguration, and later the demonstrations that grew out of the ban on Muslims, the Department of Energy's refusal to give the Trump administration a list of employees that worked on climate change, Acting Attorney General Sally Yates' refusal to enforce the travel ban, and hundreds of State Department staff members signing a memo opposing the immigration restrictions terrify those around Trump. We have the power to make any country ungovernable. But we do not have much time. Corporate power is global. It will make it harder and harder to organize, to get into the streets, to carry out nationwide strikes, including within the federal bureaucracy. And this resistance must also be accompanied by an alternative vision of a socialist, anti-capitalist society, because the enemy in the end is not Trump or Bannon. It is corporate power, and if we do not dismantle corporate power, we will never stop fascism's seduction of the white working class and unemployed. Now is the time not to cooperate. Now is the time to shut down the systems of power. Now is the time to resist. It is our last chance. The fanatics are moving with lightning speed. So should we. Hope comes from the numerous protests that have been mounted in the streets at town halls, led by First Nations people, held by members of Congress, and at flashpoints such as Standing Rock. It may also come from the 2.5 million civil servants within the U.S. federal government if a significant number refuse to cooperate. We must engage in these battles on the local and on the national level. We must, in our own community, mobilize to prevent the deportation of undocumented workers, the evictions from homes of the unemployed, those with disabilities, the elderly, or those living on small fixed incomes. The reclaiming of our democracy will only happen when we make our physical presence felt in public spaces. We once had within our capitalist democracy liberal institutions, the press, labor, third parties, civic church groups, public broadcasting, well-funded public universities that were capable of responding to outside pressure from movements. They did so imperfectly. They provided only enough reforms to save the capitalist system from widespread unrest or with the breakdown of capitalism in the 1930s from revolution. They never addressed white supremacy and institutional racism, misogyny, or the cruelty that is endemic to capitalism. But they had the ability to ameliorate the suffering of the poor and working men and women. These liberal institutions exist now only in name 
They are props in the democratic facade. There are, as the political philosopher Sheldon Wolin wrote, no institutions, certainly left in the United States, that can authentically be called democratic. We will have to build new radical movements and, most importantly, new parallel institutions that challenge the hegemony of corporate power. If we are to succeed, we will have to make alliances with people in groups whose professed political stances are different from ours and, at times, unpalatable to us. We will have to shed our ideological purity. The movements that opened up the democratic space in America, the abolitionists, the suffragists, the labor movement, the communists, the socialists, anarchists, the civil rights and labor movements developed a critical mass and a militancy that forced the centers of power to respond. The days ahead will be dark and frightening, but as Immanuel Kant reminded us, if justice perishes, human life on earth has lost its meaning. The moment we rise up to defy radical evil, we are victorious. The moment we stand alongside the oppressed and accept being treated like the oppressed, we are victorious. The moment we hold up a flickering light in the darkness for others to see another narrative, another way of being, we are victorious. The moment we reopen a public library or save a public school or provide a sanctuary to a battered woman or affordable housing, we are victorious. The moment we thwart the building of a pipeline or fracking site, we are victorious. And the moment those in power learn to fear us, we are victorious. If nothing else, let those who come after us say, we tried. Let them say that we kept hope alive. Let our lives be an example of the empathy and justice that all authoritarian regimes and dictatorships seek to eradicate. Let us love our neighbors as ourselves. Thank you. You have been listening to author and activist Chris Hedges speaking on the rise of Trump in Vancouver, Canada. This is On the Ground, onthegroundshow.org, Voices of Resistance, produced for WPFW Pacifica Radio in Washington, D.C. You can reach the show at onthegroundshow.org. Please like our Facebook and Twitter pages at On the Ground Show. I'm Esther Averam. Keep raising your voice. Peace. (laughs) 